Finally, I'm going to have to have a campaign against this. <laughs> Not really, I'd love it. All right. And this is the Michael Slate Show, and really pleased to be here. And I'm, uh, and as I said, I'm Michael Slate, and we have a number of important voices on today's show. And I want you to be able to connect with what they're saying. Okay, so at the back end of the show, we'll be speaking with Patricia Wallen, a woman from El Salvador who is active with Rise Up for Abortion Rights. She'll be talking about the nationwide protest April 9th. All right, so stay tuned for that. Before that, we'll be speaking with Vivian Topping. She is the Director of the Advocacy and Civic Engagement with the Equality Federation. She'll be speaking about the wave of anti-LGBTQ laws and the government decrees attacking the rights of anyone who is LGBTQ. All right, keep that in mind. All right, keep that in mind. Very important. Laws that should be opposed by everyone with a sense, with the smallest sense of decency. And opening the show up, I'm very happy to be speaking with Dr. Seema, is it Dr. Seema Mohapatra? And we'll be talking about the tsunami of anti-women, anti-abortion laws, and the state actions that have taken place over the last, just the last few months. And Seema, you're going to have to help me with this, with your name when I, when I sure, get you on Mohapatra. here. <laughs> okay, so it's Seema Pat, Mohapatra? Mohapatra. Mohapatra, yeah. Okay. All right, Seema Mohapatra, I'll try to keep that going. And you're a leading expert in health law and bioethics. And you're currently uh, the, the Murray Visiting Professor of Law at Southern Methodist University. Seema, welcome to the show. Thank you. Sure, I'm really, you know, and I'm, you're going to have to just reach out and hit me in the head if I, if I get your name wrong again, <laughs> get a little confused up in here. Uh, but I really want to, you know, the stuff that you've done is really extremely important for people to understand and to take to basically follow and, and take up this, you know, and it's in, in September, the Texas anti-abortion law went into effect, and this is a huge thing, with the blessings of the Supreme Court. Then December 1st, the Supreme Court held a hearing on a 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi, which clearly violates Roe v. Wade. The hearing was truly bizarre. The right-wing majority tried to completely exclude women from the discussion. Those two actions sent a signal that the court may be ready to revoke Roe v. Wade, a constitutional right that has been around for 50 years. You got that? Once again, has been around for 50 years, and the Republicans in various states responded with a tsunami of laws, each one more vicious than the last. These laws and decrees are nothing less than misogynist violence carried out and sanctioned by the state. So that's two questions. What happened in the Supreme Court and what about the hundreds of anti-abortion laws that have been passed or are in process to be passed? So what's your uh, take on this? What's going on here? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that after the hearing that you mentioned in the Supreme Court, the oral arguments in the Dobbs case, which is about a Mississippi anti-abortion statute that is clearly unconstitutional under our current precedent because it is banning abortion you know, two months before viability, which under our current abortion standard in, in the United States Supreme Court jurisprudence, that would be completely illegal. But the fact that the Supreme Court not only took up that case, but then an oral argument seemed very much poised to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. And, you know, we had some questions even by Justice Tony Barrett, who kind of said, well, do we even need abortion if we have adoption? As if 
forced pregnancy is not a harm in itself, um, and just the availability of adoption was somehow um, a substitute uh, for abortion care, and that somehow it's not a form of health care or form of right that people are um, entitled to. So that was a very, after hearing those oral arguments, I think most experts in this area feel that in the next you know, few weeks or months, whenever the Dobbs opinion comes out, that the Supreme Court is going to, you know, either overturn Roe v. Wade or, you know, basically overturn it without saying it's overturning it. And so states have been acting kind of brazenly with that, um, with that insight, because after Texas, where I live, um, passed SB 8, which SB 8 was a law that basically allowed private citizens to kind of have a bounty for anybody that was aiding and abetting an abortion, which meant even like an Uber driver that was taking somebody um, to an abortion clinic could be under that law, a private citizen could then, you know, be charged them and then get get actually $10,000 for doing that. And it was basically a very kind of clever and nefarious kind of law that allows these court system not to kind of um, question or be able to see that bill. And when we, when we heard the SBA argument um, from the Supreme Court also, it was very clear that they were letting it go because they thought that with the Dobbs case, there was going to be a change in the abortion law. So we've seen states follow suit, and our state legislatures are basically passing laws that under our current jurisprudence, which will be weighed, is still good law. Planned Parenthood versus Casey is still good law. These are all still valid, but states are hedging their bets that courts are not going to do anything because of this impending decision. And so we have Idaho, we have a number of states that are modeling bills after SB 8. We have Missouri passing legislation that says that, you know, even if somebody comes goes out of state to get an abortion, that that would be somehow criminalized and there'd be penalties for that. And so we, we, we are seeing things that are, we have honestly not seen in decades. And um, it's very worrisome, especially when you think about who is most impacted. If you have money, if you have resources, if you're an adult that can take time off from work and can travel, you know, you, you will be able you can afford it, you'll be able to seek abortion services because we have 15 states that have, you know, passed legislation on the other side to kind of protect the abortion right, no matter what the Supreme Court does. But the reality is that people who, without money, people that are, you know, teenagers, minors, people that do not have resources are not going to be able to travel, take time off, get childcare for their children, to, and so this really disproportionately impacts poor people and often poor people of color because we have the majority of people that seek abortion care in the United States are poor people of color. And the majority of people that seek abortion care also already are a parent. So we are also impacting the kind of health and stability of the family. Um, and we know that forced abortion, I mean, forced pregnancy actually causes a family to have less income forces the family for the children to have less food security. So this has an impact on a lot of families as well. So the right to abortion 
is actually a, you know, family protective measure. Now, see, that's very important. It's important for people to understand that because it's, uh, it's you know, usually it's not presented that way. And I think it's sort of like, you know, for one thing, just the idea of abortion is, you know, something that should be shunned or people have, like, committed the ultimate, you know, crime or something to, you know, for a woman to get an abortion. You know, this is, this is something I think it's extremely important for people to understand. What's going on there? I mean, this, you know, we've talked... When you were talking, I was thinking about those, those two questions. What happened in the Supreme Court? And what about the hundreds of anti-abortion laws that have been passed or are in process to be passed? I think a lot of people don't actually know um, very much about that. You know, And you think about it even if you move on on that, you know, just to give people an idea of why I call this a tsunami of uh, new laws, what kind of quantity are we looking at, and is it accelerating? Yes. I mean, so in this year, we have over 500 bills that restrict abortion care in the 50 states that, have been, that are being proposed. And so just um, a couple of days ago, uh, we had Oklahoma as the kind of most recent state that p- approved a bill that would make uh, performing an abortion a felony unless there's a medical emergency. This, again, just like the other laws I was talking about, is clearly unconstitutional under current law. However, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma lawmakers are taking their bets that, that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. And basically, this is just one of the many state laws that are being passed that really restrict the access to abortion care um, and the constitutional right to an abortion that is, has been guaranteed by Roe v. Wade. And so we have, at the same time that we have, you know, multiple red states restricting abortion, we see slowly certain blue states kind of trying to increase access or at least assure that they will still have access no matter what happens in the Supreme Court. And so, when you know, we, we see that the Oklahoma law, for example, you know, says that unless you are saving the life of a pregnant woman in a medical emergency, an abortion is wrong. That is basically restricting, you know, most abortions. We already see that in Texas, there have not been any abortions performed since SB8 was passed. And um, we, we see that Oklahoma is the neighboring state for Texas, and they had kind of overrun with having people from Texas seek out abortion care in Oklahoma. So once that door closes, that impacts so many people that also are kind of the neighboring states also are restricting abortion care. And we see that this is, you know, unfortunately, this really is a, you know, woman-hating kind of law. You know, it, it really does threaten the lives and dignity um, of women that to be making the uh, decisions about their own pregnancy, especially because it is not like, you know, these states that often are restricting abortion also have the worst kind of social services measures, often are in states where Medicaid wasn't expanded, where they have low levels of social support. So it is not that they are also saying, well, we are family values, we are going to be uh, providing this kind of support for your families. No, you're kind of you're stuck in those kinds of situations, and it's, um, you know, an, a very unfortunate kind of situation. And so we do have, it is unprecedented. I feel like the public doesn't realize 
that this is happening, <laughs> you know, in terms of, uh, you know, how much is happening nationally in the national landscape. And it, it is honestly going to um, affect the poorest um, and people of color, poor people of color the most. And it's important to look at this from an intersectional lens. It's important to look at this in the fact that we are still within a pandemic, a pandemic that really disproportionately um, impacted people of color. And we're seeing these compounded with all of these laws that really are kind of health health measures. Abortion is a healthcare service, just like any other healthcare service, except for it's been stigmatized and exceptionalized in a way where state legislatures, you know, kind of have, um, this is now a political platform that they have about this. And so it's it's very unfortunate. And I I fear that we are going to see kind of go all the way back pre-Roe to when abortion was criminalized in many states, you know, actually at one time in every state. Um, And we, we will see that some of the taboos that we've had in terms of not being able to criminalize abortion for the person that's seeking abortion, um, I think that the, temperature um, of this might change so much that even that is not against, you know, outside the limits of what states will pass. You're listening to The Michael Slate Show, and we're talking today with Dr. Seema Muhupatra, and we're talking about the tsunami of anti-women, anti-abortion laws, and state actions that have taken place over just the past few months, sisters and brothers, over just the past few months. And Seema is a leading expert in health and law bioethics. She's currently the, uh, the the Murray visiting professor of law, professor of law at Southern Methodist University. Now, Shima, tell me this. You know, it's 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 so it's almost mind boggling to, to 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 listen to this and that, and you know, the whole idea of what is happening and what's being done to women, basically because their whole crime is their women. You know, and you think about this in in terms of the the way the society runs, the way that the people run the society. It's all about women are. You know, it almost it almost sounds like the the old gods punishing people, and so when they punish them, they make them women. You know, it's kind of, you know, so you're, you're looking at that, and I wanted to point out that the, the, the Mississippi case that you you hinted at or t- talked a little bit about this. It's there's one one of the things that's there that is one abortion clinic. There is one abortion clinic. I want people to think about this for a minute. There is one abortion clinic, and in Mississippi, black women die giving birth at twice the rate of white women. What's the impact of the attacks on abortion rights for poor women and women of color in particular? I think it's something people really have to understand. Yeah, and I mean, you bring up the absolutely important point. The fact is that in this country, black women nationally are three to four times more likely to die in pregnancy than white women. And if you look at it from a more kind of... um, local level in new york city you have you know it's like over 14 times more likely to die um if you're a black woman than than if you're a white woman and so forced pregnancy does not have the same impact on everyone the same right if you if you are already in a healthcare system where there are things stacked against you because of bias not just implicit but explicit bias because of the lack of health insurance because of you know Things that you are you are treated badly in the healthcare system, so you are not as likely to seek prenatal care. Your your symptoms are often ignored. We see this even, and we see this even when you actually control for income. You know, we have 
uh, the Williams sisters talking about, you know, th- this kind of thing w- with the with their pregnancies. And so this is not just an issue with um, rich and poor, but we do see the impact going to be very different um, on black women and women of color in terms of what it means to have a forced pregnancy, not to have access to abortion care. And we have to think about this is not also we're in a this is not going to end with abortion. We, we already know that a, a lot of conservative lawmakers are seeking to restrict rights of contraception. We've seen this in the Supreme Court before with Hobby Lobby, but we see that certain kinds of contraception are being kind of likened to abortion care. We see that access to, you know, sex education and trans only is not effective. And so even some of these public health markers that are preventative, if you're, if you're anti-abortion and you want to prevent abortion, there, there are other things in terms of enhancing contraception, making sure that you have quality sex education, making sure that we have kind of, you know, education where people know how to prevent pregnancy and have access to that, that is also missing. And we are going to see, unfortunately, a lot of legislation after Roe v. Wade is weakened or overturned that also affect not just abortion. We're going to see that it affects, you know, people that have miscarriages, people that have stillbirth, people that have that are seeking assisted reproductive care, people that are seeking contraception. And so this is just the first, unfortunately, in a whole host of efforts um, to weaken uh, women's health care. You know, one of the things that actually that I think is really important, and I think it stems from a lot of the things that you've been talking about, about, you know, the, the, the whole way that this stuff is brought down on women and, the, the, the fa- you know, how everything... You know, the family allows family members of a rapist to intervene in women's health care decisions where Missouri and Ohio went, want to uh, ban abortion in cases of ectopic pregnancy. All of these things, a literal death sentence for women is being is being pushed out. And again, you know, you think about this. This is happening in many places. And there's a talk of uh, about a sort of fugitive slave law for women, which is pretty heavy when you're thinking, you sit back and you, you think, whoa, what the hell is going on here? You know, and I'd like to talk to you about this. You know, I know you can say a lot about that, but I also want to talk about this, which I think is pretty important, that this is a state of emergency for women and for everyone. And that's why I, sort, why I support Rise Up for Abortion Rights. We need marches, sit-ins, and a lot of good trouble. And that's something that actually has, has to be in in the area, it has to be in the air, and it has to be taking part. All right, and that's that's the the right wing takes for granted that Roe will be reversed, and are now speaking about reversing Griswold, which uh, which legalized birth control. Okay, and the the words in the title of the piece that you wrote in December keep coming back to me. They keep coming back. It won't stop there. So any any final thoughts on on, on where where to go with this? What's happening with this? What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that um, you're right that kind of um, a, a lot of people have been asleep at the wheel and realizing what's going on. Um, the conservative anti-abortion movement has had a long game, um, and they have slowly kind of chipped away at this right. And now we've seen that the way that the courts have been stacked, there is a 6-3 majority court, even when we have, you know, yesterday the, you know, wonderful um, votes where we have our first, finally, um, African-American 
woman Supreme Court justice, we see that that's not going to change the balance of the court. We're still going to have a 6-3 majority court. And unfortunately, if people think that abortion is where this is going to end and then, you know, we're going to go back to, um, you know, business as usual, that's absolutely not right. And the piece that I wrote for Miss Magazine was kind of bringing, bringing that up in terms of, um, you know, basically we are in, in a situation where, you know, we are, women's rights are being kind of steamrolled and we, unless people, you know, lawmakers, state lawmakers do respond to the public. And we've seen this in the past in state efforts when, you know, Mississippi, for example, uh, about a decade ago when they had a personhood bill, when we had kind of activists in the infertility industry come up and say, you know, this bill that you have is going to affect people that, you know, are facing infertility and can't have IVF. And we saw that there was pushback and the legislature retreated. I think you're absolutely right. And I'll just, you know, I'll just end there. But I think that it is really important for people to be knowledgeable about this because there's a lot of people, when we look at national surveys, we see that there are more people that are proponents of abortion rights than not. However, you can't see that looking at the state map in terms of the restrictions that are being passed. Mm-hmm. All right, Seema Mohapatra, thank you very much for joining us today. And let's stay in touch because I think we really got to bring this out and become, it's got to become a thank major issue so in people. Sure. All right, so yes. looking forward to talking to you again. It's going to be a major issue. Okay. And I'm uh, really looking forward to talking with you again, okay? So stay tuned. <laughs> All right, and thank you again, like I said, for joining us today. Now, this is the Michael Slate Show, and uh, we've been speaking with Seema Mohapatra about the tsunami of, an, of anti-abortion laws in the U.S. now. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back. But first, check this out. This May 1st, will you be there? May 1st, a revolutionary holiday marked by people all over the world to struggle for a different, emancipating future through revolution. May 1st, we march together through the streets of New York City and Los Angeles. Everyone who can't stand the way the world is, who is sick and tired of so many people being treated as less than human, black and brown, Asian and white, everyone who hungers for a world without oppression, exploitation, poverty, and the destruction of the environment. Women, men, trans, gay, straight, everyone who has the heart to fight for something that is really worth fighting for. Younger, older, everyone who agonizes about where things are headed and the fact that to be young now means being denied a decent future or any future at all. May 1st. Step up and be counted among those who say no U.S.-NATO war with Russia. No World War III. It's this system, not humanity, that needs to become extinct. We don't accept their future. It's time to get organized for a real revolution.
Welcome back. That's a song I just don't want to let go of, right? It's Muse with uh, Uprising. Now, our next guest is Vivian Topping. She is director of the Advocacy and Civic Engagement with the Equality Federation. Um, Vivian, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, first off, I was going to say, you know, in the past five years, there's been a series of hateful attacks on the rights of LGBTQ and uh, Q plus people. But since the beginning of this year, these attacks have increased dramatically. The, uh, the, Equality, the Equality Foundation said a few weeks ago that there are 148 proposed or enacted laws targeting the rights of LGBTQ people. That number is certainly higher today. You know, this is, this is, an outs- this is just a, if you have any, any just semblance of you know, basically the horrors that are being produced to people because of the uh, of their sexuality. You know, I think this is, is something that people really have to understand and, and get into. So let's let's talk about let's begin talking about that. It's it's you know, there's so much that that we need to get to. Um, in Texas, there were no new laws. Just you know, you know, there was this whole thing in Texas. There was no new law. Can you know, give us an overview of what's actually been going on on this? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we in the Equality Federation track every LGBTQ-related bill across the country, and we support our network of state partners who are on the ground doing this work to defend against them. And this has been a rising threat for the past few years. Um, we track these bills that are anti-LGBTQ, um, also bills that explicitly attack trans people. Right now, that number of anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced across the country has actually raised significantly since that last release. We are currently at 283 anti-LGBTQ bills introduced across the country. 94 of those specifically target trans people, particularly transgender youth. Um, And these have risen pretty significantly in the last few years. In 2019, we had 35 anti-trans laws, and that has now raised up to 94. Last year, by the end of the year, we had 198. And so we are seeing a huge increase in these attacks. And I want to be really clear that these attacks are coming after transgender people specifically. They're talking about gender. They're talking about transgender kids. And they are painting transgender kids and transgender advocates as um, people who are trying to attack your children, when in reality what's happening is we are seeing attacks on best practice medical care for transgender youth across the country. Um, You mentioned Texas. In Texas, they didn't actually pass a law around medical care this year. What happened was that um, Governor Abbott and the Attorney General, Ken Paxton, uh, issued an opinion, a non-legal binding opinion, that just said that they believed that that gender-affirming care was child abuse for transgender youth. That then sparked, um, that they then directed the Department of Family and Protective Services to go forth and investigate parents of transgender kids who are supporting their children and accuse them of child abuse and try to take their children away. They've been sued, and we're really um, grateful right now that there's currently an injunction blocking it, but it is an egregious attack on transgender youth, and we are just seeing these continue to be um, extreme and attacking transgender folks across the country. Mm-hmm. Now, let's keep going on this a little bit more because it's really, you know, it's so enraging yeah. when you sit down and you actually begin to... St- look and see at what's really happening out there, you know? And in Texas, you're talking, you know, we're talking about too, that there were, there were no new laws, just a government decree. 
I mean, this is pretty heavy when the, just the government decree is, is, is determining how things are going. And Texas officials outlawed gender-affirming health care for trans minors. Then they ordered everyone to report uh, th- this health care to the state or face criminal prosecution. This is an indescribable outrage. I mean, it's something that people need to actually... Get that around your head before you walk walk up and say, "Oh, they're just they just want to have a some some other thing." Just you know, think about this: what the hell is going on? What's being done to people for simply for their for their sexuality, for who they are, what they are? You know, this is un this is you, you, what do you call it? It's just it's horrible, you know. And it's and, and it, it sort of reminds me, puts me back in the in the in the the the, the, the whiff. Of the old Nazi regimes, <laughs> you know, it's a it's a very heavy thing. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, you're you're talking about some history here. I want to be clear? Uh, Pre World War II, Berlin, Weimar Berlin, Berlin had massive research about transgender people that was happening. And when um, the Nazis were rising to power, one of the things that they did was they burned down the institute that was studying sexuality and gender. And they destroyed that. And then they also continued to, in, in, in the Holocaust, were imprisoning LGBTQ people, anyone who did not fit them. And I think it's really scary right now. Folks are terrified. And just yesterday in Alabama, the state legislature passed SB 184, which is a felony ban on health care for trans adolescents up to age 19. And I want you to just imagine right now, like put yourself in, in, this, in like the shoes of a trans kid in Alabama. You're a 15-year-old kid in Montgomery. None of your friends know that you're trans. And these state legislators have now voted to ban the thing, the drugs that suppress testosterone in your body. And you're wondering what's going to happen when your friends see you changing and your body changing in ways that don't make sense. Are they going to block you? Are they going to stop talking to you? Will their parents let you there? What kind of things are you going to be outed about? And so it's just, it's a really terrifying moment right now. And I think it's really important to remember that when we're talking about these bills, they are truly bills that are relying on prejudice and misinformation. They're part of a national coordinated campaign against trans youth. I know before you were talking, before me, you were talking to someone about the anti-abortion laws that are passing across the country. These are being proposed by the same people. The same people who are attacking abortion, the same people who are attacking, um, talking about truth in our schools at this critical race theory piece, the same people who are trying to take away the right to vote are the same ones who are attacking transgender kids. This is a coordinated national campaign to attack people and to push transgender kids and transgender people to the edges of society. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, when you, you know, it's just it's it's really it, it's stomach you know it's just stomach moving in, in in relation to what's happening in this stuff. And then you look at this, including as we were talking about the the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics supports gender affirming treatment for trans youth. Think about this. They rep- they <laughs> they support that. They say okay, it's you know this is this is the you know, and 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 it supports gender affirming. Treatment for, treatment for trans youth. That's what the impact of this measure on families with trans, with trans children. What's the impact of this? What's the impact of, of this measure on families with trans children? It's no exaggeration to say that they are being actual, actually terrorized. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Just the mere introduction of these bills in a, in a state impacts transgender youth. 
we've seen data from groups like the Trevor Project, which is a national organization that focuses on LGBTQ youth mental health issues, that when these bills get introduced in their states, calls to their crisis line go up significantly. They have seen that, I think it is about 83% of transgender youth have said that these bills are negatively impacting their mental health. Um, and we're seeing folks use the same kind of messaging that they've said before, right? Our opposition is saying the same things that they said about, about people in the past. When we talk about marriage equality and when we talk about accessing health care and public facilities, they're using the same rhetoric that they've been using for years, just with different window dropping. And I think, like, the good news, though, is that we've been here before and we have won. Public support for LGBTQ people has never been higher, and yet they continue to attack our community. I think, like, the thing that I try to remember whenever we're talking about these is that there are more of us than there are of them. There are more people that support transgender people. There are more people that believe in transgender people's right to live freely and be who we are um, than there are these people that are pushing these bills against us. Mm-hmm. You're listening and, to... And I think, and I think Michael, just to, just to sure. um, add on here about some of the impact here, this is also uprooting families. We have families who are families of transgender kids who are now wondering, how do I live in this state? How do I live in this state where my child cannot get the care that they need? And it's putting them in this moment, in this situation where they have to decide, are we going to uproot our entire life and potentially like, negatively impact ourselves financially to move so that our child can get access to this care in a state that's, that's better? Or are we going to stay here and potentially have our child be not, not be able to access this care and have their mental health be drastically influenced and increase their risk for suicide? Like, that is the thing that we are doing here. We are forcing parents into a choice between saving their child's life or not. Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, it's, it's just, it's such an incredibly enraging, you know, piece of what we're talking about. You know, you're looking at this and you're thinking, you know, look, I, 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 I watch it. I, I, I've been thinking about it. I've been talking about it to people, you know, and you still come down to this. There's no exaggeration to say that people are being terrorized, you know, and for, 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 for who they are, you know, and that's, and, and, and I'd like to focus on another example of the, the don't say gay law in Florida. I mean, what the hell is going on here? Don't say gay. A, gr- a group called Equality Florida made the point that this bill is grounded in a belief that LGBTQ people simply by existing are a threat to children and must be erased. Must be erased. Okay? This is not an exaggeration to say that this law will kill people, sisters and brothers. Let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, I don't know about you, but you know, I, I am a trans woman. And when I was a kid, I, not, I didn't suddenly become trans because they talked about trans people in school. You know what? Like what actually happened to me when I was a kid growing up in the 90s, we didn't talk about trans people. We didn't talk about trans folks in schools. And we've made such amazing progress of really recognizing the historical contributions that LGBTQ people have made. And when LGBTQ youth are able to see themselves in the work, in the things that they're studying, when they're able to understand that there is this deep history to our community, they can be affirmed. It can help them live better lives. It can help them be themselves and be who they are. And what's happening now with the bills like Florida, I just want to be clear, it's not just Florida. It's all across the country. We are seeing these bills that censor curriculum in schools. We are seeing these bills that are trying to prevent schools from teaching the history 
and teaching the truth about what we're talking about. This isn't just LGBTQ folks. This is also talking about critical race theory. This is also talking about talking about our, our country's history of racism. We are seeing this consistently happen across the country right now. And, you know, the other thing is when we think about these like, books that are being banned in schools, we are literally back to book banning, to states trying to ban certain specific books. And when we look at those books, the books that they are trying to ban are books about LGBTQ people. We are one of the like, main focuses that they do, in addition to books about protagonists of color, in addition to books that focus on talking about the diverse world that we actually all live in. They are doing that, and they are focusing on trans youth because they want to erase trans people. But the thing is, we're never going to be gone. Trans people have been here for years. We have been here forever. There are trans people who have been in this world throughout history, and we can't be erased. But that is what they are trying to do right now, to address problems that don't exist and to use transgender youth to score political points. But, you know, one of those things that, that you do have to pay attention to is that, that this kind of assault on people, for, for, for who they are, for what, you know, to, you know, come on. This is, you know, killing people, killing people for what they are. This is, you know, there was a lot, you know, I, I keep thinking about this, and I think, look, there was a lot of resistance to the Florida law. Thousands of students walked out. This was welcome and important, and we need a lot more of that. But people need to know about all these attacks on our fellow humans. You know, why do they need to, why, why do they need to act? Because we, I mean, first of all, it's the right thing to do. We all have a responsibility to support the trans people in our lives. We are your friends. We are your neighbors. We are your classmates. We are your coworkers. We are in your community. And we just want to be able to live our lives just like anybody else. And it's also incredibly important because it's about who can live. You know, when adults choose to accept trans youth for who they are, it can make a world of difference. Uh, there was a study that was done in 2021 that found that trans and non-binary youth who feel accepted by the adults in their lives are less likely to attempt suicide. Acceptance is saving lives, and rejecting transgender youth is killing people, and is killing children. Um, you really can, People cannot sit this debate out any longer, and we know that right now, these politicians are exploiting a lack of familiarity with transgender people and trying to exclude trans kids from healthcare, from school, from sports. And they stoke this fear so that they can turn against some group instead of demanding what we actually need, what we actually need to live our lives and be who we are. Um, and so it's truly just about these folks trying to attack transgender folks. And we need folks to step up. We need folks to be here. We need your money. We need your voice. We need your time. And we need your support in every single state, no matter where you are. All right, Vivian, one last, one last question here. Um, how do people yeah. connect? How do people connect with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just watching all this and I'm thinking, you know, what's going on yeah. here? How do people connect with your organization and others to be part of sounding the alarm and resisting this? Sounding the alarm and, damn it, resisting this in the way that it needs to be resisted. Yeah. So I think, uh, number one, um, if you want to be connected with the Equality Federation, our website is www.equalityfederation.org. And our bill tracker tracks every single LGBTQ bill across the country. Um, and we have a network of LGBTQ organizations in about 40 states across the country that are doing this work on the ground and that are, trying, that are holding the line against these bills. And so, like, number one, go to the Equality Federation, get on our list. 
follow our bill tracker, keep up to date. Number two is find the groups that are in your state. So again, Equality Federation has our network of about 43 members in 40 different states across the country. And if folks want to be able to get involved in their local communities, that's the best way. Find the local group that's there. And the last thing is speaking up and using your voice. I mentioned that, but to be really specific, talk to your people about why you support trans folks. Talk to your people about this, because we know that most people may not actually understand what it means to be transgender and may have questions. And so that means that they're susceptible to what folks say about, say about us. But if those who support us speak up out loud, talk to your friends, talk to your family, call your legislators and tell them that you support trans people and tell them that you oppose bills to restrict and limit trans people's access to public life. Those are the three big things. All right, Vivian, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. And let's stay in touch. You need to, we need to keep, yeah. keep hitting at this. All right. Thank you again very much. Thank All you right. so much. Sure. Take care Bye. now. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick musical break and be right back. So stay tuned. Welcome back. Uh, I really do want to. This is uh, this has been an exciting thing for me. I really, I really, the, the necessity that we have to that we have to go through that we have to get get dig into this and stop this. Just this horrible, horrible stuff. That's just. I'll just leave it at that. You know that was garbage. No gods, no masters. If only we could all believe or could all take up that no gods, no masters. Or even if you do believe in God, you could say, not that way. All right. Now, I'd like to welcome to the show Patricia Wallen. She is a woman from El Salvador, and she's been working with Rise Up for Abortion Rights. Patricia, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you for helping spread awareness. <laughs> Absolutely. We've got to get armies of people out there. You know, this cannot be allowed to, to go on like this. And it, and it, it tells you a, a lot about the character of the, of the society we live in. These days, and it can't be it, it can't be left it can't be left without pe- without people speaking to it. So let's jump into this. We're good because our, our our time's a little short today, but I want to get as much as we can out of it. Our first guest today, Seema Mahapatra, was talking about the uh, tsunami of new anti-women, anti-abortion laws being passed. You're from El Salvador, which has a near total ban on abortion. A near total ban on abortion. What kind of horrors? are women facing in El Salvador under this, and here if we don't stop them? Ah, yes, Michael. Well, first, let me clarify on what you just said. Uh, El Salvador does not have a near total ban on abortion. It has a complete total ban on abortion. Mm. 
And this uh, means that in El Salvador and in other countries like Honduras, Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, abortion is penalized, it's a penalized crime with no exceptions. So what's happening is that El Salvador will not allow abortion, even in cases of rape or incest, or when the pregnancy endangers the woman's life or her health, or in cases where the fetus has malformations or if there's a non-viable pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there are countries where abortion is illegal, but they will allow, if it's needed, you know, to save a woman's life, they'll allow abortion. But in El Salvador, that request will be denied, denied. And it has happened already. There was a case of a woman named Beatrice. She had lupus. She was 11 weeks pregnant. Doctors told her her pregnancy was high risk. So they appealed to the court, and they totally denied it. They said no. She had the baby. Uh, baby died after one hour being born. And, of course, you know, she died after that, like, uh maybe four years later after her ordeal. But it doesn't stop there. You know, there are women, women right now in El Salvador serving sentences of 30 or more years in prison right now in El Salvador. And many of them, they're just there for having miscarriages, still birds, and they're accused of having voluntary abortions so that they get sentenced for aggravated homicide. Mm-hmm. That's the situation. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's just enraging. Yeah, you you're you're working with, and I really need to to get into this a little bit more because it's just so dumbfounding. You know, it's like you are and and just agonizing. You just want to step into the, into a paper and saying you're going to talk about that. Deal with this. You know, you're working with Rise Up for Abortion Rights. The call that started that movement says, we refuse to let the U.S. Supreme Court deny women's humanity and decimate their rights. Abortion on demand and without apology. What does this mean to you? I mean, you're right in the middle of all this. What does this mean? What's the, what's the importance of this? Abortion um, on demand and without apology. Mm, yes. So, you know, to me, this is a call for action. It's a call to do my part. Because, you see, I'm a woman from El Salvador living in the U.S. So where I come from, women's humanity and women's rights, they're not being protected by the state. And the women there, they're out on the streets and they're proposing reforms to the laws. They're not being heard. And the current president right now, who's, you know, been showing signs of dictatorship, he's recently told the media that he does not have any plans to change the oppressing laws right now with abortion. So, yes, I mean, women in El Salvador, they have it tough, but they will continue fighting because they understand that this is not about anyone's religion or anyone's, you know, conservative opinion. This is an issue of health and bodily autonomy. And in the U.S., you know, women have fought so hard for their right to access to legal and safe abortion. And this call from Rights Up for Abortion is just telling us that we have to get out on the streets again because the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be looking into taking away our rights again. So we're demanding that the Supreme Court keep protecting women's lives because this is the United States of America. And we have already learned that we must protect women's humanity in this country. And we can, you know, we just cannot go backwards. (laughs) 
We just can't let it happen, and this is why Rise Up for Abortion Rights is doing their part in organizing and calling on all women to act now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so, so important what you just said. I mean, this whole thing about refuse to let the U.S. Supreme Court deny women's humanity and decimate their rights, abortion on demand and without apology. You know, that means a lot to you. It means a lot to uh, other people. And you think about that in relation to this, what I'm just going to ask you now, too. You know, today, Rise Up called for people to wear green and spread the green wave. And I'm wearing my green gear now, sitting in the yeah. studio. <laughs> yeah. And so is, so, is, so is my assistant producer. He's wearing the same thing. And it's, you know, this is a question. This is a question for people to actually recognize the importance of this. Why is green for abortion so important? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, the green bandana, it was the symbol that women in Argentina used to go out in the streets by the thousands to demand their right to access to safe, legal, and free abortion. Just recently. And, but this was born from the Argentinian women who were not on the street protesting the disappearance of their sons and daughters during the dictatorship in the late 70s. But now this is the new wave of women who had to go back to the streets to demand abortion rights. And I don't know, they chose color green as their own color. But uh, you know that this is so important. The search and the creation of our own symbols is important because there can be different points of views in feminism, but one issue, for sure, where all women find common ground is the fight for the right to decide over what happens in our own bodies. Mm-hmm. So as we can see, you know, the symbol of the green bandana is transcended countries and languages and Women all across Latin America and other countries are now united by this green bandana. And it doesn't matter where we live, you know. We have the same needs as women. So now the women in the U.S. have joined the green wave because now they are forced to fight for the same issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now tell me this. What's happening tomorrow, April 9th? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tomorrow, April 9th, we're going to rise up. We're going to march in the streets for abortion rights. And because, like we heard earlier, the Supreme Court is poised to take away women's rights to abortion this very spring. So we're taking to the streets tomorrow to show that we will fight, that we will not let them take away, away our rights. Because we cannot go backwards in this great country, in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago. We're planning demonstrations and inviting everyone to do their part. So organize in your cities, post green on social media. Tomorrow is only the beginning. <laughs> I think that the green wave has arrived in the U.S. and will be making waves until the state can guarantee our rights. Mm-hmm. Now, one real quick, I just want to squeeze this in a little bit because I think it's important for people to recognize this, too. Many people have already given up the fight in ways and are saying that there's no way we can save Roe v. Wade, a woman's right to abortion. I think, I think they're wrong. I know they're wrong. <laughs> I just think they're wrong. They're working against women. And how can, how can we actually, let's get a little bit, to, you know, we don't have all the time in the world, but let's get a, a good hammer at how can we fight, how can we win this fight? Yeah. Yeah, you got it right. I mean, this is this mindset that it's only working against women. 
making it harder to show everyone that we will not back down, which is exactly what the opposition wants. And how can we win this fight? It's the same way that women have always had to fight for their rights. is by taking to the streets, by organizing, by supporting the cause. I mean, look at the women in Argentina, Chile, and Mexico. They were now tirelessly to the streets by the thousands, and they won. Look at the women in El Salvador. They go out and protest tirelessly. They have it worse than us up here in the U.S. So, I mean, for me, it's remarkable what they're doing, and they will not back down. You know, yesterday, there was a woman who was sentenced to 30 years in prison mm. for having a miscarriage. She was just released after serving nine years. So yesterday, she finally went home to her daughter, thanks to the work and the fight of the feminist group and the pressure, the solidarity of international human rights organizations. And this shows that we do have the power when we unite. That's how we win this fight. Mm-hmm. And how can people, get, how can people reach, uh, reach you? Uh, they can go online. They can go on uh, all social media and look for um, Rise Up for Abortion Rights with the number four. Mm-hmm. And again, I think this is so, so important, as we were saying earlier, that people have already given up the fight in, in ways and they're saying that there's no way that we can save Roe v. Wade, but you're actually a living proof, you and the pe- people that you're bringing into this, the living proof of the need for people to fight, to, the, 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 you know, the right to abortion, to maintain the right to abortion. You know, this is extremely, imp- just really important. And we're running out of time, but I really wanted to thank you very much for this. And keep doing what you're doing and stay in touch so we can actually keep telling people what you're doing and why they need to be part of this, okay? Yes. Thank you so much for sure. ma- doing your part. <laughs> sure. Okay. Look forward to seeing you. Okay. Take care now. You're listening to... Good night now. You're listening to The Michael Slate Show. And, uh, and Patricia, I think I said it, but I want to make it again. Thank you very much for being on the show today. This is The Michael Slate Show, and we've been talking with Patricia Wallen and a woman from El Salvador who is working with Rise Up for Abortion Rights. And that brings us to the end of yet another show. And it's always hard to bring these shows to an end because there's so much more to say and so much many more people to talk to. And basically, we need it, all right? And that brings us to the end of the show, though, no matter what. And I want to thank my guests, Patricia Wallen, Vivian Topping, and uh, Seema Mahapatra. And I'd like to thank my assistant producer, Henry Carson, and my engineer, Wendell, and each and every one of you for tuning in. You can write to me at mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Once again, that's mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Talk to you again next week. Looking forward to it. And get out there, sisters and brothers. Get out there. Cats like me and you have got lost. But they adhere to Laws outside the laws as they down By those we don't subscribe to The world is getting stranger
Children play 